This is the one with Bowie Base One. The Time Lord Victorious. The Magic Disappearing Ood. Gadget, gadget. And, and a, a terrible ending. ending. <laughs> it's called The Waters of Mars. Here we go. We're still on our rentless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Sabine and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Ood and Wow. Tenant Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the hottest ever episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. No shirts allowed. I mean, or <laughs> Doc Past. <laughs> Tonight it is just the two of us. Just the two of us. We ditched Marie because she was too popular. <laughs> yeah, we didn't like that. She <laughs> got way too much attention in that bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> we, as a duo, are reviewing episode N058, The Waters of Mars. Aren't we just? I am your lead host tonight, Drew Backwen, and oh, sitting oh. opposite me, interrupting, is... <laughs> <laughs> Hello there, I am Ponkin. So, yes. so what? D- oh. Uh, no. oh, I see. <laughs> oh, well Sorry. played. Thanks. <laughs> It's really hot. If this wasn't your podcast. (laughs) If we sound out of shape. (laughs) If if there's ragged panting, it's not because of what you might think. There's no co-host slash fan fiction going on. It is just incredibly hot. Yeah, it is 30 plus degrees centigrade in Oxford. And it has been for a week. Yeah, and we are melting. Goodness me. So yeah, the waters of Mars. Yeah, we just watched it. Honestly, it made me so thirsty <laughs> today. All that lovely water. I bet it's really cold on Mars as well. There's an ice field. There's a fucking glacier. <laughs> it was torture. It was ice torture porn. It really, it, it really, really was. This was now the second time that I've rewatched it this time around. And the first time that you've rewatched it? Yes. Since whenever it aired? Uh, Autumn 2009. Interesting. It, sorry, I should say, not the not only the second time that I rewatched it, I also, at one point, and this will definitely need to be the topic of a bonus episode at some point in the future. Do you remember we've been bouncing around, we've been ping-ponging around the idea of doing a bonus episode of which episode would you choose to introduce a non-Whovian to Doctor Who? Yeah. I once made the mistake of trying it with this episode. Oh, goodness. How yeah. did that go? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the prime objective achieved. I, I, you kirked out. I mean, <laughs> never mind the, the the Federation's prime directive or anything. You got what you wanted, and who cares, really, what happened after that? That's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> I have to edit this episode. Let's get on with it. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, let's <laughs> jump into a B-scale. Let's do that. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, verify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The Doctor arrives on Mars just as a convenient solar flare has cut off comms between Earth and the first ever off-world colonists. A ragtag bunch of botanists from a mix of nations Captain Planet would be proud of. The crew of Bowie Base One has suffered a broken water filter just as they've perfected their first Martian carrot. Turns out veggies really are bad for you as they're now about to be turned into Martian water zombies. But can the Doctor intervene? Or is this perchance one of those fabled fixed points in time? And even so, does he care? Do we? When the best Mars has to offer is an annoying robot and grown men wetting themselves? B-Scout over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? I sang that as David Bowie. Not that you'll hear it in the mix. <laughs> but go back and listen, Podcast Land. 
He's in there. All right, I, I heard it. I felt it. <laughs> so briefly in this episode, there is life on Mars. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. And then the Starman rocks up. He does. Not of his own accord, it seems. Yeah. That's best left unlooked into. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he just probably he probably just sets the TARDIS to random, actually random human, random English speaking human, and then yeah. the TARDIS takes him there. Random English speaking blonde woman. Also, if we're going to say, all right, the TARDIS takes him to where he's needed, yeah, on the occasions when he doesn't deliberately take the TARDIS somewhere, he's not needed here because clearly he can't do anything. Spoiler alert: fixed point in time, nothing matters. Like nothing he does matters. So why would the TARDIS take him here? That's a very good point. The TARDIS would have to have the same fetishistic urge as the showrunner to put the doctor through the maximum amount of suffering he can possibly endure in an hour. Yeah. I mean, and as though that weren't enough. I mean, he actually is fairly absent from a lot of this. There's, or there's static, at least. Static, yeah. There, there is a huge... I want to say half hour chunk. 20 to 30 minutes of this episode is just the crew of Bowie Base 1 doing stuff and the Doctor hearing every word they say. Why? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, either in the next room or just watching them from the corner of their room. Well, even when he's walking across the Martian surface, it seems as though his... It is the Satan Pit spacesuit, right? The, his so. Satan's uh, pit spacesuits, that radio, the built-in radio in the helmet, is somehow picking up stuff they're saying not on the radio. Oh, shit, yes. And thus he is tormented, even in absentia. This whole episode is just torture. You know the series Making a Murderer? Yeah. Yeah, this is Making a Time Lord Victorious. This is uh, all of the torture, <laughs> the, the hour of torture leading up to him losing his shit. Yeah, it really is. And that, that spacesuit thing as well, I mean, there must be a button that he can press to turn off the comms. Throughout the episode, the captain has stressed the singular importance of only communicating essential messages over the radio. Yeah, she, she which is, is why they're not using the radio. He hears stuff that they say when they're in the same room together. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's just... that's just. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the, the, the point of it. He's meant to gradually, through some form of uh, torturous shock therapy be turned somewhat darker, egocentric, and, and hubristic. Yeah, bring out all his worst impulses. Yeah. And it works, actually. The worst line of this episode is unfortunate in that they said it twice. They repeated it. Is is when Adelaide says, with the authority of someone who's been watching the show since the beginning, <laughs> that a Time Lord Victorious is wrong. And to her, those... She's never heard of Time Lords, by the way. Yeah, and we've only just heard of Victorious. It's, it's a meaningless sort of appellation, and and doubly so for her. Yeah. And no, I mean, I really liked the actress. She's fantastic. I wrote down uh, Lindsay Duncan. Let, let's let's look up Lindsay Duncan. Okay, just to finish off that point, that, that line, I mean, that was the one point where I was pulled out from watching her adoringly and I just cringed on her behalf. Oh. That she had to deliver that line. So who's Lindsay Duncan? So Lindsay Duncan, it will uh, please you to hear, is uh, known for such films as About Time, Birdman. Oh, I don't remember her being in Birdman, but apparently she was in Birdman. Uh, she was in Alice in Wonderland. She's currently in The Leftovers as Grace Playford. I'm trying to see. Oh, she was in Sherlock. That's where we know her Exactly, from. yeah. She was in, in Sherlock as Lady Smallwood. <laughs> yes, that is exactly who she is. Thank you. That is the missing piece of the puzzle. Bingo bongo. Yeah. So, yeah. Bash bosh. <laughs> bash bosh. 
<laughs> yeah, so so there you go. That that's uh, that's what's her face, Lindsay Duncan. Shum shum slippery dop. Hey, hey. <laughs> Someone's been watching Rick and Morty. So it, yeah, it, and she does a fantastic job. Does she steal the show? Is it fair to say that she steals the show? I mean, she's up there. I I would in many say ways this is the Adelaide show. In a lot of ways, I, I mean, I would say on to her credit that and to RTD's credit that yeah. um. In the past, I have occasionally criticised Doctor Who for not having women of a certain age in roles, and that's an easy criticism to make against Hollywood and any number of sort of media outlets. Sure. And here, you have a woman, I'm, I'm guessing in her, well, her character is in her late 50s, bordering on 60, yeah. and she does an amazing job, and she is given a lot of heavy lifting to do, and she lifts it with aplomb. She does. I, I couldn't agree more. But, okay, you also get tenants taken to two different places, and we've already touched on one of them, which is the dark Time Lord Victorious. And until yeah. they went over the top with it, I thought it was really intriguing, and I, I, I sensed a little bit of spoilers for next week, the master coming out of him. I was oh. getting mastery vibes, and I was I really wanted to see where that was going. It didn't quite go where I wanted it, unfortunately. I've actually gone ahead and watched The End of Time, parts one and two. Mm. Yeah. And I don't feel that it tallies very well. I'm not going to spoil anything for the next ones, but, but I, I don't feel that there's a perfect continuation between the development of his personality in this episode and in the next one. Well, unfortunately, all the uh, the good foreboding work is undone. Towards the end, yeah. Yeah, by him just sort of... Going, oh no, I've gone too far. Keep Counter calm and you. ignore my arc. <laughs> <laughs> I know I said counter to you that it was a passable ending, because it wasn't as terrible as the two previous endings. No, no, it was not. But, mm, yeah, that's pretty bad. And this is definitely of the, would you not say, so what are the Tenant Swan Song episodes? The Next Doctor. Next Doctor. Planet of the Fuckface. <laughs> <laughs> Waters of Mars. Yeah. End of Time Parts 1 and 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. Which is the finale, so I don't really, I, I don't feel like that counts in a way. That's a, that's an actual, real episode, or almost a serial. That could be dropped on to the end of a regular series. Yeah. But these three episodes, is this the good one? Well, I said before the five that this was going to be one of the good ones based on a very hazy distant memory. I'm not going to tell you because that spoiled my rating. Okay. <laughs> but it was definitely better than last week's. Oh my goodness, yes it was. Question for you. Yes. Have you seen a film called Last Days on Mars? No. Nor but, have I seen The Martian. Oh. Uh, the Martian is just cast away but with, you know, Jason Bourne on Mars. But oh, okay. but the, uh, the Last Days on Mars, which stars Liev Schreiber of Ray Donovan fame is um, and also Sabretooth in oh, doesn't matter anyway so Liev Schreiber who's awesome he was in Sphere oh, fucking hell you need to watch these, these things oh you need to watch Sphere I, I gotta watch The Girl in the Fireplace first yeah okay I suppose that's true but anyway so The Last Days on Mars is about a, a bunch of scientists on Mars or scientists slash astronauts on Mars who discover some frozen water and they take some of that water mm -hmm. there's bacteria in it mm -hmm. uh, the bacteria turns them into zombies mm -hmm. and I don't know no, I, I, I can't even classify this as a spoiler because I don't really remember if this is actually how the, the film ends. Mm -hmm. But I want to say that Liev Schreiber is about to blast off from Mars mm -hmm. when he realizes that he too is infected and blows himself up in the rocket. Mm -hmm. Is that not exactly this episode? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> beat for beat. Yep. Yeah. 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 Wow. And the last days on Mars. Uh, check it out, ladies and gents of Podcast Land. And I'm guessing that film came out... Or autumn 2009? I want to say so, but I'm not sure. Now I need to double check that. Hang on, I'm looking it up. Never let it be said that Lee Schreiber is derivative. No, Last Days on Mars was from uh, 2013. Oh ho. Yeah. So, well done, Doctor Who, forging a 
path through originality, yeah. the outer reaches of the human imagination. <laughs> Leave Schreiber, you are a shameless. He didn't write it. Parasite. He didn't write it. How dare you speak in such a way of <laughs> Ray Donovan? No, uh, uh, he didn't write it. I don't know who wrote. I've already closed. He just got his stooge to steal a good story for him, <laughs> just hiding behind him like a coward. Fuck you, Leave Schreiber. Oh, shut up. It's so hot. Leave. I really hope. I'm that, sorry, Leave. I, I really hope that you're listening. The heat has got to me, and I just become hyper aggressive. Leave. I have a, a massive man crush on you. Uh, okay. That's <laughs> why I'm jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> All right, different question for you. So you know how there's a little spiel we get to hear about the oil apocalypse, we get to hear about her, how Earth is a world full of smoke and, and it's overpopulated, it's crowded, it's terrible, blah, blah. And, and this whole space mission, it was worth it because now Adelaide finally did have a chance to see a world without smoke. Yeah, and no straight lines. She hates straight lines. She's the opposite of OCD. Yeah. So in the end, didn't London look pretty great and clean and empty and snowy and lovely? Goodness, yes, it did. <laughs> yes, it did. And that snow was white and not grey and slushy and yeah. horrible and it and there was no one there it was quiet. It was it was perfect. It was serene. It was quieter than it is now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing you can say in its favour is that it sort of made it timeless, so you didn't have to do too much set dressing. That's true. Because I thought I, I thought they could have rocked up any time from the 19th century onwards. I really didn't know where they'd gone for a while. I thought that he was going to drop them a la Weeping Angels safely in a point in the past where they, where they wouldn't... Won't, where they wouldn't disturb the timeline. Exactly. Right? Shall we get right into the timeline nonsense? Yeah, let's nail that down. Okay. It, so, oh, it, so many questions and so many points of criticism about this. I'm really sorry. I thought they did quite a concise job in this episode, but carry on. Oh, really? Yeah. I oh, thought, really? I thought the doc was like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you've heard about the fixed time thing. Well, I'm going to define it a little more certainly for you now, and then I'm going to mess with it. But, ah, uh, well, time rebounded. It's like a wibbly-wobbly elastic band. Ah, in that case, one of my notes is wrong, because I wrote down, is this the first mention of fixed points in time? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, right, okay. Oh, I'm misremembering in that case. Regardless, we get a definition of what a fixed point in time is. Certain moments in time are fixed. Tiny. Precious moments. Everything else is in flux. Anything can happen. But those certain moments, they have to stand. This base on Mars with you, Adelaide Brooke, this is one vital moment. What happens here must always happen. What is a fixed point in time? Well, a, f a fixed point in time is something that you can't go back and alter the space-time continuum so it avoids that. I mean, the whole time war is time-locked. Isn't that one giant fixed episode in time? I guess so. Yeah, they must have dropped that before now. All right, yeah, that's probably true. Okay, so a fixed point in time is something that even if you were to try to alter it, time itself will somehow final destination you and <laughs> make the outcome happen regardless, by any means necessary, right? Yeah. Okay, so angry. All right. Honestly, I didn't think he could look any more flustered podcast land, but <laughs> he is a raging inferno over there. Okay, so Adelaide... Fucking Adelaide! <laughs> and that bastard doctor. Okay, wait. Let's have a look at what happened before the doctor, the Time Lord Victorious came in and, you know, uh, altered history. He says no one ever learned why Adelaide detonated the crap out of Bowie Base 1. Yeah. How on earth did that then inspire her granddaughter to pursue a career in space exploration? Well, I suppose the parallel is um, my granddad was in the Navy and uh, he got lost at sea fighting the uh, Japanese and uh, and that inspired me to, to go into the forces. Sorry, that makes perfect sense, but I do feel like the Doctor 
character says, you saved, you did it to save the earth, and that's what inspired your granddaughter. Right. Yeah. And so she never found, found out about that, right? It, what she would have been inspired to do, if anything, if she were to, inspire, to be inspired to follow in her grandmother's footsteps, would be to, I don't know, blow something up, you know, yeah. it, it, destroy a government property. To go back to my analogy, I mean, if, if it was the case that my granddad was a captain and his boat sank, I don't think we're cut out for this, Lark. I'm going to stay on land. You know? Yeah. You wouldn't have... On Earth, what they've seen is a, an absolute disaster. On Earth, there are dozens of public inquiries launched. They don't go to space again for another 50 years because they're too shit scared because they'll all just fucking die out there because of what a terrible example has been set by Adelaide Brooks. Yeah. Okay. So now... <laughs> so now... Uh, the Time Lord Victorious intervenes. He saves Adelaide's and uh, Yuri and What's-Her-Face. I didn't clock her name either. <laughs> <laughs> I only got his name because it was written in, you know, uh, cyber mage font on his uh, spacesuit. And also something made it easy to remember. <laughs> yes, I am Yuri. <laughs> I am from Dagestan. It like Russia, but not. <laughs> it like Russia, but Russia not get angry. Perfect crime. <laughs> Hello, listeners in, where was it? Dagestan? <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor intervenes. He saves all three of them. Yeah. Two of them just, they just peel off. They just like bone out of there right away. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're like, where's the nearest photo shoot? We've got 15 minutes of fame we want to have. <laughs> Adelaide immediately goes and blows her brains out in her completely empty house that hasn't been sequestered by the state and rammed to the brim full of, you know, the excess humans that we've created on this planet. Yeah, and when her granddaughter finds her shattered skull, I'm sure she's going to take inspiration from that. There you go. So that was point B. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. Here's point C. What do the other two, Yuri and What's-Her-Face, what do they tell the authorities? Because I didn't freeze frame and read the article. Well, neither did I, so I can't give you an answer there. That's something we should probably look into. <laughs> let's, let's just not. What, okay. what, what do you reckon they say? I reckon they said... Oh, man, it's too hot to be clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I reckon they said, I tell you what, I've got an amazing script for a film. <laughs> okay. And, and they just dragged it out and they had a film series and a radio show, a podcast perhaps even, about their adventures and okay. and an Instagram account and... With pictures from Earth now. Everything's red in this Instagram uh, account. Okay. You've got your, your Aperol and you've got your squash <laughs> and my Pims here and, and they just milk it for all they're worth and they're, they're shameless sellouts is what they are. Okay, but they also presumably say, oh, and Adelaide, she saved everyone. Yeah. So this is now how the granddaughter finds out that Adelaide didn't just, you know... She wasn't, like, a suicide bomber. She didn't just kill everyone. Yeah. She didn't just lie about going to Mars and become a recluse in her giant London house. Exactly. And then just blow her brains out when she got too lonely and ashamed. Yeah. Do they mention a traveller in a blue box? Oh, yes, who they've just been utterly stupefied by. And tremendously terrified by. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Um, hmm. Right? I guess not. Either way, even if they don't mention him, it seems to me like Adelaide doesn't come out looking very good. Because it's like, oh, all right, no, Adelaide, she saved everyone. Why did she blow her brains out? She Was she mentally unstable? Also, when you say she saved everyone, what happens to the other four guys? Yeah. <laughs> well. Oh, here's another question. 
why didn't the doctor save them? Why didn't the doctor save everyone? Because they were all watered up by then. Doesn't seem like that matters to him anymore. Oh, what you think he can quarantine yeah. them in the TARDIS? And either either that, or he, them into humans. Either that, or he just lets everyone blow up on Mars. And he goes into the TARDIS. He travels back about a day, and he goes, "Guys, don't drink anything. Stay away from those carrots. Come with me." I see, because the normal rules don't apply. Exactly. Oh, that's dead good. Okay, so, uh, and hang on, what else? Also, actually, even strike that, I swear he has some wibbly-wobbly way of just decontaminating them. Oh, what, uh, built up over his many hundreds of years adventuring? Yeah! Yeah, The TARDIS is huge! Huge! He can probably cure people who are already water-zombied. Yeah, yeah, he just needs to isolate a drop and put it in the lab and, yeah. And then problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what else? What have you got? Where do you want to go? Oh, uh, did we finish the whole timeline thing? I don't know. What else you got? How do you feel about how timeline changes are described in this uh, episode with those flashy articles and obituaries? And You're leading me, I think, <laughs> <laughs> to criticise this otherwise impeccable episode. <laughs> <laughs> go for it, go for it. <laughs> well, all I can remember is in 2059, just over and over again, redlining out of the screen. It's, oh dear. Yeah. It's so overdone. Yep. Um, yes. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I get that we we get to see the Doctor's own version of TARDIS Wikia in this episode. I like that it was an actual website. Like yeah. it, it had a little link for you know click here for a printer friendly version and everything. Mm, mm. It was like the you know the BSA or something. The BSA's website, but slightly excessive maybe. Do we need to get uh, one for every single member of the crew and then yet another one for every single member of the crew who survived? No, is the short answer. Yeah, <laughs> but you want me to be funnier than that. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, he could just have said, you're Adelaide, you're the young one, and so, oh, that's that's pathos, all nasty. Um, <laughs> you're the other one who'll survive. And you and you and you and you and you, these are all your names. See, I know all your names, and we can move on with our lives. Yeah. Or maybe, like, have Adelaide, everyone else group photo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually. Actually, why not? Yeah, I mean, they'd have probably Whole on the crew same died page. on the same day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> even before that, they were the first off-world colonist crew. Of course, there's going to be a separate page on that that then splits into the sub-pages. Dear, oh dear. But then to have all those little changes, I mean, we even get to see the... the way, I mean, is he is he thinking of an actual website? Because we get to see... The, the parallel in my head is Back to the Future, you know, with the photo that fades depending on the changes that you make. Oh, like the fading Ood? No. Are you sure that's not why the Ood fades? Because the Doctor, instead of going and becoming the Time Lord Victorious, he pulls back from the brink. I think... Oh, I don't... Okay, I'm and really says, sorry. I'm not going to fuck with time anymore. And the Ood's like, all right, see you next week. I think that's just the Ood sending him a telepathic message. Oh, okay. But the... the it, it, no, but you know in Back to the Future, where Marty has the photo of his family and slowly but surely he fades out of it because he's never going to be born. Yeah, and there's the wheeled vehicle leaving the fiery tire tracks behind it. <laughs> yes, also another parallel. But but so in this case, we get to see even that website that shows Adelaide was born in North London and then she died on Mars. Fade, 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 fade. And then died on Earth. Yeah. Okay. A, is that really the only word that's going to change in that article? 
article. <laughs> no. No. Uh, and B, that seems like a specific article to me now. That doesn't seem like, you know, oh, people are now going to remember her as having died on Earth, ra- you know, having blown her brains out, rather than in a fire explosion on Mars. That's a specific goddamn website. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that the doctor's own memory changing. Of that website. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a website. It is the real TARDIS wikia. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Right. Oh my god, it is exactly. That's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, I hated those bits. Yeah. yeah. They were definitely overdone. Yeah. Unfortunately. I interrupted you, though. You wanted to go on about Ood, or was it something else? Sorry. I think I was going to start going on about Gadget, Gadget. Oh. Are we just, yeah, we should probably just get everything that we hear about this episode out of the way. Yeah, let's let's let Gadget Gadget have it. Okay, go for it. Or Paulie's birthday robot from Rocky Four, <laughs> which I had to tell you about. Yeah, I'd forgotten I'm about it. I'm disappointed in you. I'd forgotten about it. You've been uh, spending all your weekends watching Leave Schreiber marathons <laughs> instead of <laughs> cycling through the Rocky films endlessly. You know, to be honest with you, I don't remember what the robot in Rocky looks like. Well, it's slightly more feminine because Paulie ends up having a sort of pseudo-sexual marriage with it. It's it's horribly disturbing. It's it's where the phrase uncanny, uncanny valley originally, you know, came from. Really? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. It was the 80s version of Uncanny Valley. All right. In order of um, offense, <laughs> from least to most, let's list some of the aspects of Gadget Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> the gloves... And the way he's operated and the way that if he's going quickly, the guy just sort of... Oh, starts what, what, he starts climaxing. Yeah. Where, where that guy is... That guy <laughs> you know he wears those gloves to bed, mm, right? Yes. That's why no one else will put them on. <laughs> when the doctor, like, pimps my gadget gadget, why does that then translate to the power gloves, the Nintendo power gloves? giving robo-nerds an orgasm. I don't know, because Gadget is just running in a straight line. Well, not just that. Why would he feel it in the gloves anyway? The gloves are just there as, you know, a remote control. Yeah, it's supposed to add to the the ferocious sense of speed and extremeness of the scene, and it just really doesn't. Um, Yeah, you're right. Uh, And then we get to see the exact same thing with the Doctor later on as well, when he's powering Gadget Gadget across the Martian landscape. Yeah, except he's riding the high. He's he's double-handed many times before. This isn't new to him. Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) He has fists of fury, that one. (laughs) All right, yes, that is definitely one... Screw the order. That is one of the offensive aspects of Gadget Gadget. Number two, the fact that he says Gadget Gadget all the time. Yeah, like Chan, like Chantho, though. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I liked Chan, Chantho, Chan, sorry, though. Well, yes, there was there was a reason. She was an alien. She had a different kind of language. Here there is nothing. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, I can't even think of, of children liking this. I can't think of any demographic segment being pleased by this editorial choice. Do you think Gadget Gadget was devised as a George Lucas-esque ploy to create toys to sell to kids? Well, no, because he's so flimsily constructed. If you try and shrink that down to figurine size, it's going to be impossibly complex. Yeah. You can only do it these days because you have a 3D printer. Back then, I assure you, no Gadget Gadget merchandise was ever produced. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to Google it. It's just bizarre. 
is what it is. I, th- I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's RTD having his revenge on the fans for saying, this was annoying. And he's like, I'll show you annoying. Thank you. <laughs> I make him say gadget gadget all the time. I can't do the voice. Maybe it sounds better in Welsh. Maybe in RTD's head, it's melodious and operatic. And it just was lost in translation. But he was there directing. No, wait, wait did he direct this? He, he wrote it. I don't, he certainly produced he direct? this. I don't think he directs. I don't think, I'm not sure he directed this one. But he, he's, he's the showrunner. He was there on set. Uh, he was probably, he didn't outsource this to anyone else. Even if someone else was directing what the episode. Ford? Dude, what? even if someone else directed this, do you not think that at some point, RTD, as showrunner, as creator, as as writer, do you not think that he got a say in how Gadget Gadget nah, appears? Nah. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you, you what know, it he is. He was meant to be a Welsh robot. Yeah, and uh, what it is, is it's office politics. Okay. Because... Moffat is coming in right at the right at the death while RTD's distracted on Torchwood and Sarah Jane's and leaving a legacy Moffat is sneaking in and in the edit Gadget Gadget is just voiceover so RTD got Bryn Turfel in to go Gadget Gadget and be really sonorous and Who's Bryn Turfel in? He's like this Welsh opera singer Alright oh, okay and, and then in the post-production Moffat just sneaked into the editing office one night and was like I know what I'll do <laughs> What's the most annoying voice I can put the most annoying filter and who's the most annoying person i know to deliver it and yeah he strung him up interesting even stephen moffat that is naughty boy (laughs) that is a solid theory (laughs) because otherwise what better theory is there why is gadget gadget the way he is i don't know is it to make the doctor suffer again possibly because he hates funny robots there's a that's a nice bit by the way where he goes i hate robots but then makes a reference to canine What's wrong with robots? It's not the robots, it's the people. Dressing them up and giving them silly voices. Like you're reducing them. Yeah, a friend of mine, she made her domestic robot look like a dog. Oh, well, dogs. That's different. I like that little uh, part of it. But wait, hang on. We're not done with Gadget Gadget yet. Gadget Gadget is a pile of shit. Surely there's more about Gadget Gadget that we hate. Well, he's spectacularly poorly designed for a robot 50 years in the future. He's barely better than the Paulie's wife from the 80s. And he's meant to be super duper strong. Yeah, he's supposed to be able to lift 15 tons, I think. Yeah. And he's got little weak, just, I I mean, he must be made out of advanced composite materials or something, because... Okay, here's another question for you. So those robots, they were the ones that were sent there first, right, and they built the base. Does he not say that? Like, they can lift tons and tons, and that's that's how they, I mean, they built this place. Okay. I adapt a gadget out of the work drones. Those things are huge. They built this place when the shell was lowered down from orbit. They've got a strength capacity of 15 tons. The channel is open for essential communications only. Yeah. Isn't that what he says? Well, I mean, that makes... I I, I missed that, but I mean, that's what happens... Maybe in, I misheard um, it. That's what happens in... Smile. Uh, yes. So, yeah, you're story right. checks out. Uh, if if it's the same story. It's all templates. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, and that is what they said, it seems to me like these robots are fairly useless. As in, it, it seems to me like they're not autonomous at all. They're, they're remote controlled. In fact, they're glove controlled, and the gloves are in the box with the robots. So how did this work? Yeah. Surely they were sent there beforehand, because otherwise, what, everyone arrives in, in the shuttle, they deploy the robots, and then what, they stay in the shuttle for like a year while the robots build the the base? No. But the thing is, Gadget Gadget, he he's lost his signal back on Earth, and they spend ten seconds making that pointlessly clear. They bring Gadget Gadget with them back just to make sure that he only works on Mars. Yeah. I just to, Wait, why does he why does he not stop working the second the base blows up? Yes. Why why isn't he left in the TARDIS to 
you know, be filed away by the doctor for a rainy yeah. day. Yeah. But yeah, j- just to just to extend our agony a little more. Yeah. Gadget Gadget from start to finish is awful. He is. He very much is. He doesn't even have you know, usually when you have a some some awful side character, they they might have a redeeming line or something about them might make a shit of sense. But not in this case. I can't think of anything. No. He's he's crippled to go at just uselessly slow speed as well. Which annoys me. Yeah. Even though somehow there are little jet boosters in his rear. Yeah, and all the corridors that they have to navigate are tremendously long. Yeah. So so what? They they say, Gadget, Gadget, time is of the urgency. Get off to Sector E right now. And maybe 30 minutes later he might have made it. I mean, <laughs> fuck's sake. Okay. Okay. I think, right. I think before we carry on slating this episode. Yeah. There are you, some good bits as you well. Were, yeah, you alluded to some good dialogue. And there were a lot of little zippy, snappy lines in this one. Oh, okay. Let's hear some. The first one I noted down was um, when they asked the doctor to state his name, occupation, and whatever it was. Oh, yes. State your name, rank, and intention. The doctor. Doctor. Fun. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) And... That was that was just there were, there were loads. I've made far too many notes to be able to to be able to find any, but there there are more. And you mentioned K nine. Oh yeah, that was a good bit. Yeah. And apart from the funny lines, when the Doctor is on screen and Adelaide, they're both effectively acting to screens. They are both doing a stellar job. Do you mean when, for example, when she's popped him in the airlock? Yes, she's clo- locked him in the airlock rather. Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant scene. Yeah. That, that's one of those that yeah, that really shows off. Both of their talents. I mean, I, I want to say Adelaide in particular, but I, 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 yeah, tenants as well. Tenant does a fine job, does he not? Well, I think they they just drive each other on to, to greater heights. Adelaide starts off with a with a threat, with a just a cold blooded yeah, assurance so, of instant death to, to ramp up it. the pressure. Yeah, yeah. That that made me think of an episode of well of a serial, a classic serial, Galaxy Four, in which uh, Ian Chesterton is locked in an airlock, and the uh, I can't remember what they're called now. The ones where William Hartnell just like points at the uh, one of their vaginas. They can't remember. <laughs> uh, the serial is called Galaxy Four. Anyway, uh, they lock Ian Chesterton in an airlock, and they do the exact same. You would have hated that one because it's it's an episode where the cliffhanger is like the pressure gauge. Oh, like a like a countdown basically, but it's a count up of pressure. I am as horrified as surely Barbara was at the time. <laughs> anyway, sorry, digressing. Yeah, but that, yeah, that was right, right? Barbara was right. Barbara, yeah, yeah. Barbara, right. In yeah, fact, yeah. oh shit, why not? yeah. I'm trying to say good things about this episode, and you're reminding me there was a countdown. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm sorry about that. I'll tell you what, though. I'm going to counter that. Okay, counter it. This was a good countdown. Oh, was it now? Because it went to zero, and the thing that happened at the end of the countdown, or was supposed to happen, happened, rather than you get to three, or you get to two, or you get and to 007, or you get to one, or, yeah. or they're completely out and there are no consequences. In this instance, everything on Mars died instantly. It actually worked. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That ep- so wait, this is how we get a countdown past you. We actually make it a valid countdown. Yes, you give it a point. Is that your problem with countdowns and count-ups? Yes. But what about... The, I thought... Wait, hang on. What about in like uh, Daleks Take Manhattan? Where... Uh, is it Daleks Take Manhattan or is it Daleks in Manhattan? <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry. I'm, <laughs> yes, it's Daleks in Manhattan. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> 
where they're, they're going up the lifts. That's going somewhere. It's not like they're like, oh, they're two floors away and now we stopped the lift. They're going, they're arriving. Yeah, I suppose, but they have enough time to get safe and it's it's just a way of killing time with numbers before the next scene happens and what you already know is going to happen starts happening. In, okay, in, that is a fair point. Yeah, in, in this one, and also because, because we know that they die. Yeah. And we don't know exactly how they're going to gerrymander the, the fixed time wibbly wobbliness. Yeah. You think, well, maybe at the last second, Adelaide pulls pulls them back out the ship, out the TARDIS, says we have to die, and the dock arrives on Earth alone. That's a possibility, because of the whole fixed time conceit. Yeah. And so th- there isn't more riding on this countdown and the fact that it actually ends. It leaves us in some sort of suspense. Okay. Yeah, I see where you're, where you're going with this. Yeah. And just the fact that you have too many. That's just... M- <laughs> Rampant overuse of countdowns. Okay, well, let's move to something that was, in my view, really well done. Okay. Uh, water zombies. Yes. They're known as the Flood. Hmm. Uh, that's TARDIS Wikia. I, and I noted this time around that in the episode, the Doctor actually does refer to the Flood on a number of occasions. He never refers to them as the Flood. But he does say, you know, the, and then comes the Flood, something, something, it only takes a drop and blah, blah, whatever. Like, he does mention the Flood on a number of occasions. Yeah. Mm. Okay. They were brilliant. Were they not? They were. I was able to see uh, beyond the black in the guy's mouth at one point. To the actual water dispenser thingy. (laughs) Well, not that I could see the water, but I could see, you know, that there's a plate top and bottom and around it, obviously, was still his cheeks. Sure. (laughs) So they could have done a bit more post-prod touching up on that, but... I guess. But... Yes, when, whenever they turned around, it was the shocking moment that was required. And not just that, the the bit where they, before they turn around, before they turn, where they're shaking and shivering, and then all of a sudden they just stop and they're standing completely still. Mm. Well done. Bravo. Bravo, whoever did that. Yeah. Yeah. Very creepy. I liked the whole, oh, water is patient, water can wait. Yeah, water always wins. Yeah. Oh, really well done. Yes. If water can make it through everything, wouldn't everyone there be dead, though? Because wouldn't air slowly but surely be seeping out of the place? Because it's not like they're eroding the the roof of the base with water towards the end of it. It's that water finds little crevices here and there, right? That's what it is. Yeah. Right? So that means the place isn't airtight. Yeah, and it means that the... Does it mean that the water in some way can direct itself? It probably doesn't, does it? Because there is so much water falling in that scene where Steph is separated from the rest of the crew yeah. at enormous length. Sorry, do you mean uh, Steffi Ehrlich, which means honest? Because you can't have a good person from a different country who doesn't have a name that says something to the effect of good person. Oh, like good fellow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it a German surname? It doesn't sound... Ehrlich, it just means honest. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it is a surname. It probably is a surname, but... Yeah. It's like in Die Hard with a Vengeance, where uh, Simon Peter Gruber needs to change his name to Peter Krieg. Okay. (laughs) Oh, hi, my name is War. (laughs) Am I a good guy, do you think? Look, if if you're going to start pulling people up on names, then Charles Dickens is going to have to rewrite his entire oeuvre. (laughs) Yes, I suppose. But still, still... Yeah. So the point was that there there are gallons and gallons of water all over the floor. So it yeah. must just so it must just be sitting insensate on the floor rather than creeping towards yeah, the I don't other think, side of the room. Where I they don't are. think it's sentient water. 
No, so really all they're doing, as their name would indicate, is flooding from the top and the water's just so via gravity just yeah. falling through crevices, as you say, yeah. even though that's 10 metres of steel. I mean, you know who you should blame for this? Fucking Gadget Gadget. Yeah. Fucking shoddy job. <laughs> Piece of shit. What kind of operation are they running on Mars? <laughs> We get a little bit of backstory about the the flood as well. I mean, there's a reference to the Ice Warriors. The Doctor says, oh, the Ice Warriors, you know, the, the proud alien race that once ruled Mars. Am I right in saying, in remembering that he alludes to the Ice Warriors having been defeated by the flood? I don't know if they were defeated because the Ice Warriors were then able to capture the flood in ice. In oh, is somehow? that what they... Oh, right. So yeah. they froze the water... Yeah. In order to contain the threat of the flood. I believe so. Right. Which also, I I mean, I don't know, because there are so many Ice Warrior serials between this episode and the last time that we encountered them on Who Back When, you know, in Classic Who. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this was an attempt to justify the name Ice Warrior. Oh, because they made war on the ice. Yeah. And, mm. and like, I mean, in the first place, when they were named Ice Warriors, they were named Ice Warriors by humans who happened to find one of the them frozen in ice. It had nothing to do with ice. Like, it was a complete coincidence. And then all of a sudden, they're just known as ice warriors. Oh, isn't that a fun tie-in, though? I li- yeah, I like it. I, I love it. I, I think it's really, really cool. I think it's, a- oh, nicely done, guys. Nicely done. I couldn't tell from your expression, because you're just in so much discomfort. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, that's the- just the heat. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> What's up, sir? Okay. I do have some questions about the water zombies, though. Okay. So, all right. First of all, how do you make a water zombie? I mean, it seems like in one case, you just need to bite into a carrot. Another case, you you get a bump on the head. And in another case, you need, like, a full-on Martian baptism. And oh, yes! The outcome is always the same. Yeah, except And what's his face? Egon. Maggie. Who's Maggie? She's, she's the black woman whose right. eyes don't go pale. You're right. Yeah, her eyes don't change, but she's still... I mean, she's clearly a water zombie, right? Yeah, and, but she's sort of their leader. So there's a there's a difference there. There's another unexplained thing. Oh, okay. Essentially. Did she also receive a water baptism? Like a, a fake knock on the head just to make it seem as though she had had a tussle, but in fact she had to drink gallons of water or be covered in it? She, uh, well, I mean, that does seem to be Andy's M.O., water zombie Andy's M.O., but... But then later on we get to see, what's his face? Um, Roman. Yes. He has, in, in a scene that is almost identical to that scene in 28 Days Later, where, you've seen 28 Days Later? Yeah. Which, among other people, stars Christopher Eccleston of Doctor Who fame. There's, there's a scene in that one just as there's the scene in this one with Roman where a drop... Here it's water, there it's blood, falls into the eye. And he's like, oh, no, no, stay away, stay back, stay back. I'm going to turn. I'm so sorry. And then he starts shivering and then he turns into a crazy rage zombie. Yeah. Uh, that's one drop. You don't need to shower in, in you know, Martian splooge. You just <laughs> need one drop. But it's just more fun that way. I mean, it's a cool scene. What was 28 Days Later made? 2002. 2002? Yep. This is a rip-off. That scene is a clear rip-off of, let's call it homage, to 28 Days Later. They're, they're just sticking two fingers up at Eccleston for leaving in a <laughs> flounce. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a super nice scene. Yeah, and yeah. Roman, I mean, that's the best thing he does. I mean, he's just been annoying up to that point with his gloves and then his robot. In, in that scene, he actually gets to be noble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. And actually, I mean, this is maybe a slightly... We're talking in about side characters now. Yeah. This is perhaps a slightly different crew than we're used to. First of all, 
it had an effective female captain. Yes, it did. Because I think one of our problems with 42 was that there was, was a woman in charge. I can't even remember her. She was married to a to a guy who I who ended up being a, a light box, I think. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to say I don't remember any members of 42, of the crew of 42. Well, no, I'm sure 20 episodes from now we won't remember anyone except Adelaide. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But I, I do seem to recall that we were not satisfied with the calibre of the female captains, but here... Spot on. Yeah. Yeah, well done. Do have we not, however, encountered the stereotype of the the male humorless man in charge? In this case, the pilot. Well, Ed. Is that his name? I think so. The guy who has some history with Adelaide that we also never get to hear about. So but he's never forgiven for. Yeah. I thought that was intriguing. I like that. Yeah, I like the me fa- too. I like the fact, actually, that there were allusions to backstory that you never got resolved. Because they weren't cheesy allusions. They, they, they were just enough of a hint to flesh them out as credible human beings. Nick is screaming into whatever device he's listening to now. Show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Yeah, exactly. He's also saying <laughs> dramatic irony. The, the, uh... <laughs> oh, that is the nay plus ultra of Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Nick. Wait, what are we talking about? Oh, the side characters. Yes. And also, I mean, I know that Andy uh, was essentially a villain, but... Well, he was for most of the episode, yeah. Yeah. But that wasn't actually him. They didn't, as as happened in the past, they didn't sort of retain a humanity that they could converse with. When when the Doctor was trying to get Maggie to talk to him... She didn't rem- remember anyone. But she did seem to recognise Ancient Martian. Oh, yes, that's true. Which, I'm, I mean, I, I wonder if that's something that we're going to encounter in, in quote-unquote, future classic Who serials that we're going to be reviewing on Who Back When. Yeah. I've only with seen... With the Ice Warriors. With Ice Warriors, yeah, potentially. I only, I only remember one thing that takes place on Mars, and that's Pyramids. On Mars? Pyramids of Mars? I'm going to say Pyramids of Mars. Um, oh, I'm really looking forward to getting to that one because there are a few scenes in that se- I don't remember much about the serial, but I do remember a few scenes from that serial. And among other things, they do go to Mars. Shit, so I might be misremembering that. <laughs> um, but I wonder if... The, I, I don't remember that aspect of it. Maybe the language that they speak in that serial is ancient Martian. Maybe there's... I mean, presumably, you're right. I mean, there are going to be other Ice Warrior serials. Very possibly some of them will take place on Mars and that therefore we'll get an, you know we'll get to hear the doctor learn slash speak ancient martian well what happened but, last week with the victorians on mars i was gonna say there? yeah we were just on mars as well yeah but no that was just ice warrior speak right oh, okay and that's different that's just hissing and, and stuff so it, this that, this is a different language right my my question is she recognizes what's her face the water zombie zombified lady she, maggie maggie sorry uh, she recognizes ancient Martian. Yeah. Meaning she's encountered it before. Possibly she speaks it herself. If she speaks it herself, then that is her species language. Yeah. The doctor speaks it. The doctor has encountered this species before? Hmm. Well, maybe it's it's the ancient Martian lingua franca. <laughs> like, I don't know. So there were lots of species living on Mars and... Yeah. Possibly. 
But where I was going with this way back when... Sorry, girlfriend. ...was, I mean, it does sort of run counter to the fact that the Doctor does start to make contact with her. Yeah. And she cocks her head and she recognises, and then he just completely abandons that line of inquiry. He does, but she doesn't seem particularly interested in anything anyway. No, I guess. But I, but I think that is good because you don't have the compromised human-villain hybrids in this one where you're trying to reason with them and you don't know which way they're going to go. You are human and then you go villain. And and so that's different. We could be really nitpicky, by the way. Yes. I'll, I'll always give them the chance. She does speak English. So does that mean that she... Is this the TARDIS at, at work? Or is this just... Yeah, it's a TV show. Obviously, she's going to speak English for a while. Or is this she hasn't turned completely yet and therefore she hasn't lost all of her memories... Uh, or is it... Is this in the sick bay yeah. before she does the thriller dance? Exactly. But while she is speaking English, she looks at the monitor in that, I'm going to say, dreadful scene where, it, <laughs> where Yuri is just like flipping through pictures of Earth, never turns around, never goes, why are you asking me these really weird questions? <laughs> like, yeah. You know where I'm from. You know what Earth looks like and so on. But anyway, she doesn't recognize Earth. She doesn't know anything about it. She goes, oh, wow, there's lots of water there. Like, I want to go there. That's a great place. So she's forgotten what Earth is like, but she remembers the language and she can speak with someone convincingly. Anyway, I I told you, you, that's very nitpicky. I think that was a good nitpick. Okay. I'm with you on that one. All right. But I I guess where I was going was it was nice with nobody compromised that the threat was more absolute rather than... Yeah. Is the Doctor going to be able to turn them back? Again, I feel like he probably could. He probably could, but if he had done that, that would have just muddied the waters. waters. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a that's a whole other narrative can of worms that if you just keep it simple, then they're more terrifying. Yeah, agreed. And there's it. Oh, you know, there's the most heart wrenching scene in terms of oh, people are people are dying. I mean, across the board, everyone, all but two people die, right? Yeah. And and, it, and one of them, we can't even remember her name. Most of them. Wait, I've remembered Ed, Maggie, Steffi. Yuri, Roman, Adelaide. That's pretty much everyone. Andy, Andy, except the the other survivor. Yeah, the other survivor. We can't remember. Survivor number two. Survivor number two. Yeah. Okay. So, but for me, the most heart wrenching scene is when Steffi, Steffi Ehrlich, when she is locked in that room and she is watching a video of is it her kids? I'm guessing so. I yes. can't remember. I didn't really listen to. I was too busy writing at that point. Find some fucking native German speaking children if you af- absolutely need to plop kitty winks into your episode because they did oh. not sound like native German speakers. Really? But, but but I didn't really make a note of what they were saying, or rather, I've forgotten anyway. But that scene is heart wrenching when she's looking at that, and then all of a sudden, from behind her, she can feel like a splash of water, and she yeah. knows it's over. Like this is me gone. Yeah. My personality is going to be erased. That is yeah. oh. Super powerful. We were watching well it done. with a third, and was it at that point that Miramu was moved to tears? Around about that point, yeah. She, yeah. It, Miriam was actually crying. And that is, I mean, I'm going to say, yeah, you know, well done for having made emotionally effective TV. I'm sure lots of people were brought to tears by this episode. Yeah. The crew, I mean, even even Ed, he's he's a bit of a knob. Pilot guy. Yeah, Ed yeah. the pilot. But, but that's because of him and his and the captain's history. Yeah. And it's not that when you went on your one mission as happened in the Satan pit with Toby. Oh, like your one mission Toby. across the stars, you took one solid gold bell end along <laughs> just for the variety. 
just in case, you know, you encountered some force of evil that would find him a willing host. Yeah. Here, he's difficult, but it's a different kind of thing. You're not waiting for him to turn bad. And at the end, he is a bit redeemed. And you even feel bad when he gets wetted up. So, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Different dynamics with this crew. And I just proved I can remember practically all their names. Well done. Which is rare. <laughs> I don't think that's rare at all. You have a very good memory for these things. Uh, yeah. Well done. Uh, and and good point. Plural. <laughs> so, I said that the Time Lord Victorious was one new place Tennant went to. Yeah. And I liked it for a while. I really did like it. I, I didn't like his inner Mickey monologue, sort of giving him a pep talk, a potted history of the Time War. Oh, yeah. To bring him around from absolute inaction to... it was We saw Manic Depressive Doctor Well, this is him minutes. just going massively schizo, isn't it? Yeah. This is him suddenly... Like, he's talking himself into... Time Lord treason of a sort. Yeah, what and are going those... completely bipolar while he does so. What? Yeah. What? What are those? Ti- uh, not Time Lords. What are those uh, sound bites from? They're from from other episodes that we have recently reviewed. I'm sure. I I don't know, but it, it could be pretty much everything we've heard to date. <laughs> it could almost be yeah, because there's a fair few of them, and they they're only ever dropped once or twice at a time. This could be the entire, and it would make sense. This is the whole new history that RTD has given the Doctor, and it's all going to culminate in the next two parts. And in fact, it also, you know, back to square one in a way, full circle, he says, uh, <laughs> those are two different things, he, he says, uh, <laughs> we hear the, um, is it called the Bad Wolf theme, or possibly the Rose theme in the background? You know, the, that's yeah. a perfect rendition of it, by the way. We have the choir in the background, which is what we heard in Eccles times when the bad wolf mythos was suddenly exposed in a way when the lore of of rose was deepened on screen we got to hear that music yeah and now we're hearing it as he is facing his own bad wolf uh his own bad self oh exactly yes he's getting down with his bad self (laughs) yeah the other place that they took him to was as we've alluded to just the ultimate sort of experience of suffering Yeah, yeah emo doc yeah but he's never suffered more than in this hour, has he? I mean, wait, why? For most of wait, the time, he's just paralyzed. Do you mean when he realizes that he can't do anything? I think there's a really great scene where he says to the captain, essentially, if I do something, I will just make it happen. I think yeah. that's really great in terms of building on what came before and folding it back on itself and just robbing him of agency. The Doctor Without Agency, like in Midnight, is a really affecting thing. And. I felt the same here. Very true. But this is where the Final Destination thing comes in and ruins it a little bit for me. Because even if, yeah, whatever you do, it's now going to change the way that something happens, but that something is still going to happen. You cannot change that. Yeah. The fact that you've changed the way means that you've already changed something. In Final Destination, it's like, oh, well, oh, I, I managed to not die in a plane crash. Uh, I guess now I'm going to be decapitated by a renegade train sign or whatever. I can't remember that film very well. No, I, I, I don't buy that. That's still still changing stuff. No, he changed history. Sheldon didn't die on Mars. She blew her brains out. Subsequently, by the end of the episode, we can say yes. But most of the, for most of the episode, he is not breaking the rules. He 
just thinks that he didn't know that he was there and he was the one who caused it. Ah, okay, wait, so hang on. That That's a different definition of... I, I agree with what you're saying now, but I yeah. think that's a different definition of what a fixed point in time is. A fixed point in time, all of a sudden, is something that you have unknowingly tampered with. And by interacting or choosing not to interact with it, that is what constitutes the tampering that you were unaware of beforehand. Right, I think I follow you. That makes sense to me, but I don't think that's what they're saying here. I think what they're saying is the universe has a way of course correcting. And unfortunately, as in there are pins that hold the string, you know, between the the pots of jam. There are pins in the wall, right? Yeah. And those pins are always going to be there. So even if the... Yeah, but whether you like it or not. Even if there's a little bit of slack in the string or if it's tightened or whatever, it will always go from pin to pin. And you cannot change that even if you're a time lord or maybe like the time lord said, this is the law, you cannot change the, the location of those pins. Yeah, yeah. Well, y- you can think of it like that. Or they're the fronds that the monks are fondling. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, I had somehow weirdly already blanked on that episode. <laughs> but but yeah, if that's what they're saying in this episode, which I feel is what they are doing. I think they do that after the doc breaks bad and then bounces back again. But for most of the episode, he hasn't done that. And he is just seeing himself causing something where he didn't think he was going to be. And the, the tragedy of repeating the mistake he's made before, like at Pompeii, is something he has to wrestle with, and, and there's no escaping it. He Until he decides to break all the rules and just fuck everything up. He is trapped by time. This is something that the Doctor is not used to, and he not only is trapped by time, but he has to listen to all the suffering going on at the same time, and it just ramps it up. Okay. All right. am, I, am I just repeating myself? Am no, I no. Well, well, I mean, you're making, you're making perfect sense, but I don't think that's what this episode is saying, and mm. the, the main reason for that is the website. So it, it, that's that's the world changing in some way. The website being, in this case, a representation of how the world world remembered history at one point. Yeah. And when the website morphs into whatever, that means now... But that's at the end. That's at the end after he's... Yeah, but that means that he has now made a change to what it was like before. It, it doesn't mean... It negates the other theory of it was always like this. He just didn't know that it was like that because of his intervention. It does, but it doesn't change his experience of what he thinks is happening. That is making him suffer. So even though he is wrong, he is still living within that falsehood. Okay. And it is taking him to a place he's never been. And it means that I'm when, prepared to believe you on that that one, when yeah. his ego is resurrected, all yeah. the suffering that Space Jesus has has <laughs> gone through for the last 40 minutes, it means he can resurrect bigger and better than ever. Because he is, I mean, it's a question for you. Okay, you're afraid. I mean, I know the Doctor is tormented after he comes back, first yeah. as a moody northerner, and then as <laughs> two fops, and then as a grizzled Scotsman. Is there any of this in classic in so classic. far? Yeah. Not so far. So, not so really. Well, no, not really. There, there are, we've encountered what I think would constitute fixed points in time in Classic Who, on Who Back When, so far. Bear in mind, most of Classic Who, I still haven't seen it, right? He mentions Pompeii in this episode. We've seen the burning of Rome. We've seen the great fire of Rome in Hartnell times. And that is very much caused by Hartnell. Right. Very much caused by Hartnell. So very much more of a Rick character back then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love Rick and Molly. He causes the fire, fires of Rome. And then just walks away saying, lick, lick, lick my balls. <laughs> right? I knew you'd love that show. 
And I, I'm pretty sure, because that's the, obviously that's the episode where we get to see Nero, we get to see, like, the madness of Nero, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure for that reason, during that serial, we get to hear about, oh yeah, isn't he the chap that burned down Rome? Like, isn't Nero, isn't that the guy who just went completely not-so and torched the place? And then towards the end, spoiler yeah, yeah. alerts. And, and they say, yeah, I think he matches that description. Oh, nice one. <laughs> <laughs> and then towards the end, the only reason he does that is because he is inspired by Hartnell lighting some papers on fire in front of him, like alluringly, and he goes, oh, well, those are pretty. I guess I, I just had an idea. Here's something I'm going to do. Hmm. You know, Hartnell fiddling with time again. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the closest we've got on Classic Who. Well, I, I, I don't mean the, the Doctor causing stuff to happen. Oh, you mean him I mean, thinking, oh shit, uh, I can't believe that this is something that I can't change or this is something not that Not even I, that, just more broadly, just being a suffering, tormented individual beyond the human scope of comprehension. Yes, we have, but only within the context of I can't go home, I am, I am exiled, I'm not welcome by my own people. Okay. No, is the answer. This is a new thing as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so this is really RTD's signature, as in the lonely, suffering Space Jesus. Yeah, well, but, well, I mean, have you seen... I've not seen any Colin Baker, and I've also not seen any Sylvester McCoy. True. And Colin Baker is meant to be a bastard as the Doctor, and Sylvester McCoy is meant to be just grumpy and moody. I've so met possibly, Colin Baker. I don't think he's a bastard. I think he's just quite high-handed. I meant Colin Baker's Doctor. <laughs> Colin Baker was a lovely gentleman, but but the... Uh, uh, Listen to who back when it's fun <laughs> love colin baker yeah he's so tall so much shorter than i thought he would be <laughs> uh, but, but i mean he he is meant to be this like his doctor is meant to be a bit of an asshole so i can definitely see him having dark moments and yeah. then sylvester mccoy's era that whole that whole, i mean I'm assuming that whole era is like wall-to-wall depression because at that point the show was uh, on its last legs, money was being pulled everywhere, parts of the BBC, unfortunately, parts of the BBC didn't want the show to continue. Like, yeah, there's probably going to be some dark times. Yeah, it got really, it kicked off grunge as I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it was responsible. When Sylvester McCoy, his first day in the job, Banana Rama were number one and everybody had big hair and shoulder pads in, it was hilarious. By the end, Kurt Cobain is writing Nevermind and we're all ready to just mosh with anger for a decade. Yeah. Until the Spice Girls come along. Mm. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> so, anything else? Is there anything else? The dramatic walk away from the rocket boosters that doesn't vaporise the Doctor. Oh, but knocks him over in that when, very when tenuous atmosphere, yeah. Yeah. And sets off several self-sustaining fires. Yeah, I don't know enough. I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not well informed enough to know if there's an atmosphere on uh, you know, enough of an atmosphere on Mars to allow for open flames, but specifically flames that dance in the wind. But yeah. Yeah, yeah that was that was a that was a low moment. I've also written countdown elicits visceral reaction from Drew. Check. Uh, <laughs> Ood Sigma. We haven't really talked about Ood Sigma. Oh, is that Ood Sigma specifically? Uh, he has the Sigma on his... Um, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> uh, Mao Zedong outfit. This is why I need to write fewer notes and look more on the screen. <laughs> we get a sorry, sorry. Soundbite it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry with all of my heart. Uh, not exactly the uh, sorry, so sorry, but... It's as close as we're going to get. The Doc's also sorry with all of his hearts. Let's not question that. It must just be a slip of the tongue, a speech impediment. Certainly. Also, after an hour, who the hell are you? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Wait, uh. 
This is the person whose name we cannot remember. The one who bones off screen. What's her face? Yeah, what's her face? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Who has had over an hour to question the man's presence on Mars, and then when they are on Earth, she just goes... I mean, she has her little it's bigger on the inside moment, but that's it. That's what takes her over the edge. No, I didn't yeah. like that bit. I, I think it would have been nice if she'd asked that earlier, and then they could have shoehorned in more David Bowie references. The Doctor could have said, yeah, I'm a Major Tom, brings out the psychic paper, shows everyone Major Tom. I was just floating around in my tin can and uh, decided to drop by. You know what? I hadn't even thought about the psychic paper. I'm so glad he didn't use the psychic paper. Because hmm. that's another thing that he normally would use in this kind of scenario. When they ask him the question, they should have asked him. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's what they didn't ask him. Well, I mean, they do ask name, rank, and mission, objective, whatever it is that he answers with fun. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's enough for them. Yeah. yeah. I like it. I'm pleased that they didn't go full trope. Yes. Nice to change it up. Yeah. I have a final few points to barrage at you. Shoot. Mars looks great. Yes, it does. As does the base. Yes. And yeah. the rocket and... Yeah. Uh, the last episode really seemed quite amateurish. I mean, yeah, not just by bad. comparison, anyway. Yeah, because there was a long stretch in Series 3 where they looked like they didn't know how to make a television show. Especially one with the, the scope and the abilities you need... On, on a show like Doctor Who where you have to use your imagination and conceive of things and make things hang together. And last week they didn't do any of that. This week... I th- I feel like you're being a little harsh, but okay, yeah, carry on. Yeah, this week it was much better. The pacing was... There were a f- there were just a few bits of flab, but for an hour, very few, really. Yeah, agreed. Um, I rose at one stage. It was comforting to think of Gadget Gadget being left alone on Mars forever when they were going to evacuate. <laughs> But we didn't get that. Sorry. That would have been nice. It would have been like, um, was it Spirit or, or Discovery up on Mars? Just constantly trying to get up the wall of that crater. And it stayed alive for months, beeping back to NASA. And then it's just like, nah, stranded. He's dead. There's an XKCD comic about it. Oh, okay. You're coming to get me, guys, right? Guys? <laughs> Pan out to the entirety of Mars. Guys? <laughs> gadget, gadget? <laughs> so evil. Not as evil as the Doctor, who is a massacre voyeur. There is a fixed point in time. Everyone's going to die, and he's going, I really should leave, but it might be horrible for a long time at the beginning of the episode. He does try to leave. They won't let him. They take his spacesuit. Possibly, but he's he's not trying to get it back off them. He's just sort of dawdling and mumbling to himself, well, I should leave, but this is sort of like Crash. I think I'm just going to watch the carnage unfold. I, I, you're probably right. There probably is an element of that in there. Though I think, I mean, officially he's there because he's having this inner monologue or this inner, you know, he's in a debate in which he's going, mm, should I, shouldn't I? Should I, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah, I should. I should interfere. <laughs> Yeah, and that is fun, and and he does that quite well. Yeah, it's a, it's it's obvious, but it's less obvious than what comes towards the end when he's trying to be bad. So I look back on that fondly now. Okay, yeah. Um, for someone who wants water and is thirsty, these guys are all exuding a lot of it. Why are they constantly dripping and splooging and splurging? Yeah, yes. I'm going to go to one of my notes because this is something that I haven't said in a while. It's in my notes. How's it generating all that water? Isn't it a waste? Because well, at this point, I'm thinking they're the water, right? So why why would you just waste it? And, and you're not just creating water out of nothing. You're creating you're turning something into water. So why aren't you drying up? Why aren't you turning into just skeletons? Why aren't you you know? Yeah, why are aren't you, the are cracks t- at least spreading over their face as they're gushing out the little so water much water? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or are you t- taking something from the atmosphere and turning that into water? So why isn't the atmosphere changing? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. If they can 
make so much water on their own. Like, they can just generate it out of nothing. They don't need to go to a planet that's full of water. They could just turn Mars into a water planet. They also don't need to scream to wake up the uh, the glacier. They could just add new water on top of it. Sooner or later, it'll melt. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of science that doesn't add up. Yeah. But that's to be expected, I suppose. Here's the thing that doesn't add up. Okay. The Dalek. Looking in the window. Oh, I forgot about the Dalek. Yeah. Why? Why? Why does and the Dalek just look at this girl and go, not worth it? There is no explanation. None no. at all. I mean, she's not even a special little girl. I, I mean, I'm glad that they didn't go down the, well, the Daleks knew it was a fixed point in time. I was going to say that, yeah. Because that would have just raised far too many questions. Yeah, I, uh, I hope that's not the case. But that's what sprang to mind when we watched it, yeah. Because yeah. then they would know that their invasion plans were entirely exactly. pointless and doomed to fail. So, yeah. so I get why they didn't do that, and maybe they thought, we'll come up with another explanation, or... This was just a nice Dalek. Yeah. yeah. The maybe one it was nice a child Dalek. Dalek. Maybe it was Clara the Dalek. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? One thing, just one thing. You get one more thing. One thing because, you know, <laughs> I don't want anyone to give this episode too high a rating. There is suddenly sealant. The Doctor rocks up when he's manic up doctor hey look i've got some sealant spray this everywhere there we go job done bish bash bosh yeah you're totally right is that something it's not something he's brought from the tardis is it because he hasn't gone as far as the tardis at that point no so this is something from that room yes so they have sealant and they just don't use why don't they use it as a precaution you know just just seal everything yeah you would you would think what have we got in storage let's let's stop for a minute i no, it's just thrown in glibly. I yeah. buy it. Miriam brought up, that's Miriam, uh, brought up a, a good point while we were watching this. Uh, she said, why doesn't everyone just put on a spacesuit? Yes. Wouldn't that kind of fix it? Wouldn't that solve the entire problem? Yes, because these haven't been built by Gadget Gadget. They're not <laughs> defective. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it would. Yes, it would. Ratings? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. I'm not a hundred percent sure what I'm giving this. I have my opinion of this episode has fluctuated wildly in the past few years. I, I said this having rewatched about about half of the episode that one time that I tried to introduce someone to Doctor Who with this episode, and it failed because that person, by the way, absolutely hated this episode. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just like, this is shit, is is uh, what the person in question said. Anyway. Oh, wow. But yeah, so my, my opinion of this episode is fluctuated while you... Would you say is. that it's ebbed and flowed? <laughs> <laughs> Rewatching it the first time with Miramu on a bus. <laughs> we did not like it. Yeah. And rewatching it again now with you and Miramu, I felt that... Not on a bus, on the TV, sitting in a sofa, melting in this heat. I felt like this is actually a really good good episode. But now we've spent an hour and a half talking shit about it. <laughs> uh, and I can't help but think of all the things about it that don't make sense and that I cannot forgive. Very good. For, for the details, re-listen to this entire episode. I'm giving this a three... No. Yes. 3.1. Wow. Okay. Yeah. See, this is going to be interesting because I'm going to be more positive but give it a low score. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's really interesting, this episode, as a counterpoint to the last episode. It really stands out as a contrast, whereas that was incredibly sunny and light and expansive and empty. This episode is claustrophobic and dark and it's quick and stuff is always happening. And this episode is stuffed full of action and dialogue and twists and turns and 
the last episode, I know it it was a functional Earth hour, but it seemed <laughs> so much more barren, not just in the landscape, but in the ideas and in what was presented to us. And this episode felt like at least three times as much stuff happened. Mm. And so I like it for that. And there is a lot of good stuff. There is also a lot of bad stuff. The, the science is bad. The, the doctor is great. It's Lindsay not, Duncan. Wait, the doctor is great? Is the Doctor always great, though? He's great, and then he's bad. <laughs> I think he's more great than not. Yeah, I agree. Sorry to interrupt you. He certainly had more to do, and he didn't have to fake being aristocratically entranced by Lady fucking D'Souza. That's fascinating to me, because I think part of what makes his part, his participation in this so excellent is that he has nothing to do, that he is forced to be a spectator. Yeah, but he, also his interactions with Adelaide, those scenes are incredibly powerful. Mm. And they are two actors really acting. Mm. Like, like, you don't get that matchup very often on Doctor Who. You should get it most weeks, but you don't. And so those scenes were a treat. But, see the last hour and a half, 2.9. Yeah. 2.9. <laughs> okay. Listener minis. Right, so we got any listener minis? Yes, we do. Shall we start with, um, who's reviewing? Matt Thomas. What's his rating? Matt Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> So, Matt says, before watching, yes, the good one. Admittedly, I've not watched Waters of Mars sensibly for years, but this one definitely stands out in my memory as the only good one of the 2009 specials. After watching. On rewatch, though, I see where Ponkin has issues with the episode. The idea for the episode is good as the Doctor finds himself obliged to let the Bowie-based team die. But instead of making his excuses and leaving, we get the typical 10th Doctor angst, jaw set and grumbling about the Time Lord's burden. Imagine this as a Capaldi episode. Mm. Tennant is a great actor hamstrung by angsty characterization and if this is his last opportunity to show his acting chops in his tenure, then he's poorly served. Matt goes on, The base team are cool, barring Roman and his dumb robot, with Lindsay Duncan and a young Gemma Chan from Channel 4's Humans being the most noticeable. If you want to prolong the inevitable, you could justifiably slot the 50th anniversary special in next as it takes place after this episode in 10's timeline. Rating 3.5. The version of this episode in my memory would easily have been 4.5. Shame. And he adds, said sadly gadget gadget <laughs> and follows up with a sad face as if we were in any doubt <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome yeah thank you so much Maz <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page okie dokie next up who's this one from Tracy from America Hello, Tracy. So, Tracy begins, Oh, I did not like <laughs> this one. Please follow along with my enumerated angry points. Number one. The entirety of the plot is contained in the first and last ten minutes. The middle 40 adds nothing except perhaps a rather morbid speech by the Doctor about the inspirational Mars deaths. Number two. Really not too keen on the whole fixed point Prime Directive crap. Oh. Prime Directive? She brought up the Prime Directive? Yeah, she did. That's freaky. I thought fixed points were universal laws, like the law of gravity. Now they're just some BS the Time Lords made up like a healthcare bill. Ooh. <laughs> Topical. Sliding in at number three. Do Time Lords just have newspaper clippings or web pages in their heads that magically change as they mess with the past? In at four. If the Doctor decided to abandon his fixed point morals and save the Mars team, why didn't he just take the TARDIS back to his arrival and save all of them? That's exactly what you said. Number five with the bullets. Wouldn't Adelaide's family finding her lifeless body in the living room have also changed history? Yes, I think that's a pretty fair point. <laughs> <laughs> Unchanged at six. Gadget, gadget? Question mark. 
Number seven, and while we're on the subject, didn't the robot get sprayed with water on its way to the TARDIS? Yeah, good point. Mm, yeah. Is there now just like Martian zombie splooge all over the TARDIS? Oh, I don't know. Oh, man. Maybe. Oh, crumbs. Anyway. anyway, lastly, at number eight, after the Doctor saves the last three of the team, it really pisses me off that he just stands there smiling stupidly. I get it, Doc. You just discovered an entirely new side to your personality, but these people are in shock. You call yourself a doctor, get some bedside manner. The one right point in this episode, she adds, was the actress playing Adelaide. She was phenomenal. And Tracy's rating is, is it time for regeneration yet? Yeah, nice one. Awesome. Thank you so much for sending that in, Tracy. That is, as per usual, a spot-on mini. And a special shout-out to Tracy, because it was her birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday, Tracy! Yeah, and it was mine not so long ago. So, oh, happy birthday. Commiserations, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen who aren't Tracy, you can follow Tracy on Twitter. She is at... Yekatnyatnuf. That's Fountain Tracy. Backwards. Next up, we've got... Michael Ridgway. <laughs> That's that guy I know. Hey, Michael. How you doing? And look, he, he split this up into two paragraphs because he knew ahead of time that there would be two of us tonight. <laughs> is Michael a time lord? He might... B? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's been proven either way. Michael begins, you'd need a heart of stone. Stone! To not be moved by this episode. I, for one, wept like a baby as the likeable doomed crew were being picked in the final act. <laughs> I think the ending would have been better if the Doctor had not returned to save them. I feel the seventh incarnation of the Doctor would have just left and, and not given it to us. Perhaps the water zombie things were an homage to the creepy-ass baddies in sadly deleted second Doctor Adventure, Fury from the Deep. He says he's attached an image here as well. Uh, an image which we are, uh, we already have on the Fury uh, from the Deep episode of the Screaming Guys. That's a super duper good reference, Michael. Yes. The, uh, for those of you who haven't, um, aren't acquainted with Fury from the Deep, you can't watch it because you can't watch it. It doesn't exist anymore. But you can listen to the audiobook. You can also absolutely listen to our review of it. Possibly, well, since it's a lost one, I'm going to say my review of it. It's probably a solo <laughs> yeah. one. But yeah, very true. There's something, there's like this foam and people getting contact with this foam. They turn into basically like carriers slash not monsters but i mean oh they're super creepy mm. and michael's included a really really creepy screen grab from it one of them just screaming oh awesome thank you for bringing that back up to <laughs> surfacing that in my memory puddle is michael on twitter i don't think so just have to make friends with him in real life like i did yeah i want to michael come here befriend us <laughs> um <laughs> And is that all? No, it's not. We have a, an actual, honest-to-God, salt-of-the-earth, straight-up mini-review. as Why opposed is that to maxi- so surprising? As opposed to maxi-review, because this one comes from none other than the legendary Trenton Bless. Holy moly! Oh my goodness. Hello, Trenton. Uh, <laughs> how you doing? Long time no see. Trenton is aware of this. He begins his review. I finally come back to review the waters of Mars. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's. Trenton goes on. I really like the atmosphere here with this episode. It's dark and edgy and the flood effect was brilliantly handled. The Doctor has visited the moon multiple times, often talks of Venus and has even been to Pluto. Hey, Pluto! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. But the show has only ever gone to Mars three times in the show's history. The first being The Pyramids of Mars, 1975. This was the second time, and the third was in The Empress of Mars, 2017, the one that was just on uh, a couple of weeks ago. All three times, I thought each story brought more lore to the red planet in the universe. But by far, Waters of Mars is the darkest of the three Martian stories. The ending especially was really dark. The flood was unsettling, the supporting 
cast was great, and the Tenth Doctor absolutely loses his mind. I'm giving this a proper 4.6 out of 5, says Trenton. Whether you love Tennant or hate him, this is a great episode and one of my favourites of his era. And Trenton gives us a preview of how he feels about next week's episode. Next time on New Who, you're doing the end of time. Oh, God, the end of time. (laughs) I suppose that's ambiguous. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well for um, a plethora of reasons. Uh, thank you very much, Trenton, for sending that in. Ladies and gentlemen who are not Trenton Bless, you can follow Trenton Bless on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That is Bless with two S's. Is one of those reasons you're looking forward to the end of time? Bernard Cribbins! Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> And because then after the end of time, we get to do our tenant slash RTD retrospective. Oh, I am super duper looking forward to this. I mean, you know what? I am really super duper looking forward to Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. As is Marie. Yeah. And we're ready. Yeah, we are ready, right? I we are think, ready. I don't think we're ready to see Capaldi leave necessarily, but maybe after reviewing 40 plus episodes of him, we'll be like, it's time. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> Okie dokie. So, um, what's next? Next up, we've got a classic Who review. It's going to be The Damons. After that, we have a new Who review, namely of... The End of Time, Part 1. That's right. We're going to be dropping uh, a couple of bonus episodes very soon. You've already mentioned the Tenant Retrospective that's coming up shortly thereafter. And before that, in fact, possibly even the next thing to drop is going to be our fourth anniversary blooper reel. Four years of Who back then. Four years. Yeah, we are four years young. Holy moly. <laughs> well, almost. When you get to five years, I mean, that's that's really something. That's a significant chunk of a life. Yeah. Wow. That's going to be good. You're welcome, podcast. We're going to have a crazy party when we hit five years. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, until then, people can follow you on Twitter, I believe. They can, at Drew Backwen. Excellent branding. You can follow me as well. High-five me online, and I will high-five you right back. I'm at Ponkin. Until the next time, be rad and excellent to each other, podcast land. Rock on and cha-chao. Toodaloo. <laughs> Marie, where did you come from? (laughs) Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episode to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who Review, New Who Review, or, still funny, Audio Who Review. Cha-chao. Who back when?